Okay, so like I said, we're going to start on a little journey with God's promised people, the Israelites. And if you've read much of your Old Testament, you know that that all kind of started with a man named Abraham. Okay, not long after the be- very beginning in Genesis, we get to Genesis chapter 12. So go ahead and pull out your phones or your Bibles or whatever. You may want to write some of this down because I'm telling you, I'm in a roll. We're going to hit a lot of scriptures. We're going to hit them pretty fast. And I talk fast anyway, so I'll try to slow down for you. But Genesis 12, we see the Lord appearing to this guy named Abram, who will later become Abraham, and giving him a promise. Now, I want to remind you before I read this, that one really, really profound thing that Josh said last week, in case you weren't here, was that oftentimes in our lives, when we are faced with a lack of something, we tend to hold on to our self-preservation instead of remembering God's promises. If you were here last week, you remember that. I'm going to say it again. We tend to make our decisions or to hold our hope onto our self-preservation, what we can do to fix our circumstances instead of trusting in God's promises. And we're going to see how that has been playing out for generations and generations thousands of years ago, okay? So back to Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So here we have the very beginning of the promised land. The promise of a land given to Abraham where God was going to make him into a great nation. Okay? That of which we are still partaking in today. It was a deep promise with many benefits and rewards. Can you imagine how Abraham or Abram at the time must have felt being singled out by God Almighty and spoken to about a promise in a land that he didn't know anything about? It was totally foreign to him. But he took that risk. He walked out of his comfort zone, moved his family, packed up, and went to this land. Everything was great, and they all lived happily ever after for seven verses, okay? Yeah, isn't that how life goes? We get this wonderful promise, and then, oh, no. So move down to verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and listen to this. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the salmon was— salmon, oh, Lord, I'm hungry. Famine was severe, As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Talk about self-preservation at its finest. Y'all look at what he did. Seven verses after moving his whole family to the promised land. All of a sudden, there was a lack. There was something missing. It was called water. So the crops weren't growing. And this man who had just had this insanely powerful encounter with the Lord is running 
to Egypt. We don't see him on his face begging for provision, saying, God, this is your promised land. You called me here. How are you going to provide? What do you want me to do? No, he's running to Egypt. And then that Egypt is leading him into a state of sin and deception. Because all of a sudden he gets scared to death that he's going to get killed. Because his wife is so pretty and they want to have her. Okay, think about that. Think about the times that whatever it is that is your stronghold has led you astray. Because instead of going to your creator and basing your decisions on his promises, what are you doing? You're running somewhere else and it's causing you to get in a situation where you have to self-preserve through a sin. It happens. Happened then, happens now. But the thing is, that was only the first time. Because like I said, this stuff can be generational. So go ahead and turn over to Genesis 26. By the way, it didn't go so well for Abraham. After Pharaoh found out that he lied about his wife, he kicked him out. So he ended up back in the promised land. Didn't get the food he needed anyway. Or maybe he got a little bit of it, but he had to leave. So it didn't work out so well for him. He goes back to the promised land, raises his son, Isaac. So now we're on generation two, chapter 26. Look at verse one through three. Well, what do you know? Here's Isaac, the adult. Now, what was there? A famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Okay, so he confirms his promise. Tells him, hey, don't go down to Egypt again. I'm assuming the only reason God told him that is because Isaac was probably thinking it already. Now, granted, he did not go all the way down to Egypt, but he still left the promised land and went to a neighboring place called Gerar with enemies that led him to do what? Look at verse 7. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, well, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is very beautiful. Now, guys, I don't think Abraham probably sat his son down and said, Isaac, okay, the next time there's a famine, you need to leave the promised land and then you need to go and take your family to another place and then lie so that you can make sure that your life is saved and nobody kills you to get your wife. I doubt he said that. We usually don't have to sit down and teach our kids how to carry on our crap. Right? Yeah, it's better caught than taught. And a lot of times it is. This is generational sin unfolding right here before our eyes. The exact same thing happens. Promised land left, Promises forgotten, self-preservation takes over. But we're not done. Moving on, turn to Genesis 42. So Isaac grows up. 
Isaac marries two wives, if you know your Old Testament at all, Rachel and Leah, ends up having eight total sons between all of them. And of course, we know that Joseph was his favorite. If you've ever heard of Joseph and the multicolored dream coat, technicolor dream coat, whatever. He had, he was spoiled. He was the favorite. And so his brothers didn't like him very well. And he had a little gift of, I guess, prophetic seeing. He had visions and dreams. Joseph did. Anybody remember where he told his brothers, hey, I've had a dream that you're going to bow down to me. That didn't go over so well, right? They already didn't like him, didn't go over so well. And who knows what happened? He found himself sold off and taken to Egypt. All right. So this family can't seem to get away from Egypt. They just keep getting there one way or another. Well, lo and behold, years go by. Joseph goes from prison to becoming a respected leader. And guess what happens? Chapter 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. Oops, and I I'm, go back. Go back to 4156. A famine spread over the whole country. Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And that is throughout the whole land, not just Egypt. When Jacob, who was in Canaan, the promised land, learned that there was grain in Egypt, what did he do? (laughs) Hey, boys, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Get your tails down to Egypt. No. He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Not, hey boys, get down on your knees and let's start begging God every day for a breakthrough from this famine. He's promised us this land and he knows what we need. Let's get down and pray for it till he brings it to pass. Uh Uh-uh. Boys, what are you doing? Get down to Egypt now. Get some grain. So they go. And lo and behold, they meet up, you know the story, with their brother Joseph. And Joseph doesn't reveal his identity. Instead, he sends them back to get their younger brother. They come back with the younger brother. And eventually, he gives them some more grain and he reveals his identity and sends them back again to get their father Jacob. So Jacob was holding down the fort in the promised land. The last one left. And finally, the boys come back. We found Joseph. You're never going to believe this. So what do you think he did? Hmm. Genesis 46. Skip ahead. A couple more verses. Chapters. 46, 3 and 4. It says, God spoke to Israel, which is another name for Jacob, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Wow. So here we have God the father who promised this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, giving his blessing, 
for Jacob to leave the promised land and go to Egypt. Why in the world would he do that? I, as I've been praying over that these last several weeks, it, it was a little confusing to me. Like, Lord, why would you give your blessing for somebody to leave your promise and go another route? And then it hit me. It was like the Holy Spirit said, man, God will accomplish his purpose. And his purpose and his heart is for his people to see him as a deliverer, as a provider, as enough. So when we repeatedly have to go to something else to preserve ourselves, guess what God does sometimes? He says, okay, you want to go? Go. And guess what? I'm even going to bless you. It's okay. And that's how much he loves us. He lets us have our own free will. He lets us make our own choices because he wants to be known as the deliverer. And he knew that without that intervention, he would simply be somebody they'd heard about, that they had never really personally seen his hand, that they would keep going to other places for their intervention. So before I go any further today, I want you to just think about what is your Egypt? What is that place in your life, in your family's life, that you go to instead of going to God to ask for provision? It could be your work. You could have seen generations of workaholics, that that's just what you do. It could be your desire to perform. It could be... The decision to walk away from marriages because you just can't quite seem to stay committed. Okay, what is it that is your Egypt that you go to instead of God? Again, you may have walked away from God during certain points of this and not met with a lot of resistance. Or maybe generations ago, your family started this. And didn't, was not met with a lot of resistance. But in the end, you were going to find yourself in slavery, as we're going to see the Egyptians did here. Why didn't God intervene? Listen to this quote I have. Um, I found this week by a guy named Graham Cook. thought this was so good. It says, God in his wisdom is willing to allow obstacles in our lives, even though he could prevent them. The more we mature in this new man life, the more we understand that obstacles are an opportunity to gain an elevated perspective. I want y'all to know if you're sitting here today and you are in the midst of something that you feel like has the strongest hold it could possibly have on you and there's no hope of escape, that it could very well just be God wanting to give you an elevated perspective that sometimes he allows us to walk right in to things that are less than ideal because he wants us to see how great he is, how able he is to bring us out. I want you to hear that this morning. His heart is for you. His heart is for you. It doesn't matter how far you have tried to run, how far your family has tried to run, what you have done. God is God. His plans cannot be thwarted. 
his purposes will stand. That's the bottom line. And he desires for you to know that with all your heart. So unfortunately, it got tough for the Egyptians eventually. Okay, it was all sunshine and roses. In fact, when Jacob initially went there with his flock, verse 47, or chapter 47, 5, says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. So settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. So not only did they get God's blessing to go, but they were blessed when they got there. Pharaoh gave them the best land and some livestock to be responsible over. It was a good day. They were feeling pretty awesome about leaving the promised land. Until a couple chapters later, Exodus 1, look what happens. Verse 6, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, They'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave this country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So now we see these people that had inherited a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was no less promised to them now than it had been to Abraham, but they were living as slaves. They were being worked ruthlessly. And I want to know how many of you standing here today feel like you have been worked ruthlessly. Okay, you are just done. Because there, has, there have been things that you have dealt with or that your family has dealt with that is more than you can bear and you do not know how to get out of it. That's where the Israelites were at this point. And you have to remember that this was going on and on. This wasn't like a short time period. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. So by this point, they didn't even have hardly a memory. They didn't know who they were or what they, like Abraham who, promised land what. It was a bare memory. They didn't understand their identity. Their identity was slaves of Egypt. That's all they knew. For generations and generations and generations, that's all they knew, but that's not who they were. They were God's people, his chosen people, but they just weren't living like it right then. So eventually, there came a turning point, and I want you to get this. Is this where the lights went out last time? I don't know. I think God was trying to get everybody's attention. Okay, I want you to get this part here. So read, uh, let's look at Genesis 46. Oops, yeah, go back. Genesis 46, 3 and 4. 
Oops, I'm sorry, that's wrong. We already did that. Um, Sorry, Exodus 3. Exodus 3, 7. Finally, we're talking 430 years later. Finally, God intervenes. He raises up this guy named Moses. You know that story? And Moses is the one who is going to bring his people out back to the promised land. Verse 7 says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Hey, guys, if you are sick and tired and you are done, there is a God who sees and he cares and he wants to bring you out. But let me tell you the key. The Holy Spirit has impressed this upon me. There's a key word right here in verse 7. says, I have heard them crying out. Now, how many of you in here are parents? Okay, then you know the difference between the drama cry <laughs> like the fake, I need attention cry, and the, this is serious. Get up. I'm bleeding to death. We're about to go to the emergency room cry, right? Especially if you have boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Well, the Hebrew word here, sa'aka, okay, sa'aka, the Hebrew word for crying out is that second cry. Forget the drama. They were done. That was 200 years ago where they were whining a little bit about being caught, caught up in slavery. By this point, they were desperate. They were on their faces begging for intervention from the Lord. Like, whatever it takes, please hear my cry. Freedom. They wanted freedom. They were done. And I don't know, but it seems like Somewhere else in the Bible, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble humble themselves and really pray, then I will heal their land. And I think it takes being that hungry sometimes to get the breakthrough that we need. So if some of you are sitting here wondering why you have spent years and seeing your family, and your parents, and your grandparents, and now maybe even into your kids, wandering a certain path, maybe it's time you get desperate, and you start crying out to the Lord like you have never cried out before, because he longs to come and meet you where you are at, but he needs to know that he is desperately needed, that you are all in. Like Adam said, you are all in. Okay, so they cried out. And then what did they do? Finally, Moses came and he revealed the plan. God has heard your cry. He is going to bring you out. And their response, Exodus 4, 31. So good. It says, they believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So that true crying out can only be met 
with one response. When we hear God speak back to us, we don't say, oh, okay, God, yeah, I was waiting on that. It's about time. No, we get on our faces and we say, Jesus, thank you. Okay, literally that bowing down means to shrivel up. I mean, get as low as you can possibly go. They were so thankful. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now there was no hope for them preserving themselves. They were done. See, what they thought was self-preservation going to Egypt had ultimately led to bondage beyond what they ever could have possibly have imagined. And they knew there was no hope apart from intervention of the almighty God. So when they heard he was on the way, they were on their faces thanking him. Man, Lord, I pray. I have prayed all week, like, Father, show me areas where I need to be crying out. And I'm praying that for y'all as well. Okay, so they're on their faces They're ready to go. They move out. And 10 days later, they are in the promised land, living happily ever after, right? (laughs) Why? Why is it always so hard? Why is it always so hard? You're exactly right. No, that was not the case. So in closing here, I just really quickly want to leave you with four things to be thinking of and looking for as you are journeying from bondage to freedom. So you're thinking about those areas in your life where you've gone to Egypt, whatever it may be. You're desperate. You want to get free from them. And you're willing to start on the journey. Here's what you need to look for. First of all, Exodus 5. Look at verse 19. It says the Israelite over, now remember, this is after God had already promised to deliver them. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you for each day. However, you're supposed to make double the things that you were making. So when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord Look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in our hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. So here they had just been promised this miraculous deliverance and now all hell was breaking loose. And this is when the power went out. (laughs) Yes, I remember now. Because guess what? The enemy does not want you to hear that when you are in the process of breaking out of a stronghold, it will very often get much worse before it gets better. Because guess who is not happy about the fact that you might possibly be coming into a free territory and gaining a free land? (laughs) The enemy. And guess how badly he wants to scare you right back into your comfort zone? right back into the comfortable little land of slavery. We all know it's so comfortable, isn't it? Just be honest with yourself. It's so comfortable. But guess what? When you push through to the other side, you will receive that promise. I promise you every single time. Okay, so number one is it may get worse before it gets better. So be prepared. Put on that full armor of God, learn his truth, be in his word, and be ready to fight. Okay, it's not going to be easy. 
but it's worth it. Is it worth it if you are changing the history of your generational line? Yes. You have the opportunity to break the bondages that have held your generation captive, held your family captive for generations. You have the power to break that. Get on your face, get hungry, and get ready to fight. Number two, understand that with new territory comes new traditions. So as they were getting ready to walk out of the promised land, God was giving them, or I'm sorry, walk out of Egypt into the promised land. God God was giving them all kinds of new rules. You've got to celebrate the Passover. You've got to circumcise the males, blah, 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 blah. But the reason for this was so that they would have things in place to remind them so that they could tell their kids in the next generation, in the next generation, the reason that we celebrate Passover is because of God bringing us out of Egypt. Long story short, it's an amazing story. I wish I could preach for another hour on that. But go back and read it if you have time. God delivered them and he gave them a new tradition to pass on to their kids. So I ask you, what new tradition do you need to pass on? Is it the fact that you are going to stay committed and stay in your marriage despite all odds, even though every single other person you've seen in your family has walked out? Is it that you are going to rip off the mask and actually be real that you're not perfect when all you've ever been told your whole life is that you've got to hold yourself together and look like you have everything right? You better not let that family dirt out of the bag. Somebody might know something. You might get judged. God forbid. Let it go in the name of freedom. So what is it for you? What is that new tradition that you need to let go of? I promise you the Holy Spirit is dying. I mean, that you need to gain so that you can let go of something else. The Holy Spirit is dying to tell you. Number three, almost done, I promise. The path to the promised land is usually not predictable. Quickly, look at Exodus 13. Uh, Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, finally, listen to this, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was much shorter, much shorter. Think of how many times Joseph's brothers went back and forth, back and forth. It was about 11 day journey from Egypt to the promised land. Anybody know how long it took the Israelites when they finally got free to get back? Hello, anyone? Anyone? Like 40 years. How do you turn an 11-day journey into 40 years? Only really special people can do that. Any of you feel like you've been doing that in your life? (laughs) Yeah, me too, sometimes. Okay, so they did that. But God wanted to take them a new way. And I love his reasoning behind it. God said, though it's shorter... If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert and toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up and out of Egypt, ready for battle. God knew, and he knows you. He doesn't want to lead you right into the face of an opposing enemy where you're going to tuck tail and run. Because you might think you're that good, but you're not. And he knows better, and he knew his people So he led them the long way, but it was the safe way. And it was the way that he knew would be the most guaranteed for their success. So if you feel like you are being taken the long way around today, 
you very well might be, but you trust your heavenly father because I promise you, he is out for your best. And very last here, whoo, my volunteers are going to be killing me. Um, <laughs> you need, probably most importantly, to remember to follow the presence because that is going to be the thing that is going to protect you. Okay, around here at Hope City, we say the presence is everything. And it is. And God was so faithful to lead the Israelites. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says he gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that was his presence surrounding them, covering them. He led them. And he will lead you as you are hungry. And look at what this presence did. Last but not least, Exodus 14, verse 19. They had finally moved out. They had left Egypt behind. They had just been a couple days away. And suddenly the Egyptian armies were in hot pursuit. They could not seem to get away. The angel of God, this is verse 19, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and he went behind them. The pillar of cloud, which is the presence, also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other so that neither went near the other all night long. So imagine the presence of God coming between you and your enemies so that you are protected. Okay, that is where God longs to see you today. On the road to victory, protected by his presence, knowing that you are hemmed in behind him before. So as you sit here today thinking about where you're at on that journey, Maybe you're still in the stages where you're bouncing back between the promised land and Egypt. Not quite sure, just feeling pretty good. Not quite looking to God, but having a good time going back and forth to your provision, your self-preservation. Maybe you're there. Maybe you are so deeply entrenched in bondage right now. It's so enslaved to something that you just don't even know what hit you. Maybe you really don't even know what hit you. You need a wake-up call. Like... You're not free, but maybe you do know and you're in the desperation phase where you are crying out, hungry for freedom. And maybe you are on the road out. Wherever you are today, I just want to encourage you to keep pressing on and knowing that God is faithful. As I said earlier, his purposes stand firm and he will do what he pleases. And he desires for all of us to walk more deeply with him. He is working in your life. It is a process, sometimes over years and years and years. So don't lose hope, okay? I wanna encourage you with that today. Let's pray. Oh, precious Jesus, just hearing your heart for the way that you fathered the Israelites and allowed them to go their own way so that they could see you as a mighty deliverer who brought them out. Lord, thank you for showing us that and for the truth that comes through faith that we serve the very same God. And Lord, you are every 
ounce as real today as you were to them. And that you desire for your children to live free, Lord. We have already been promised heaven. Lord, we have a kingdom inheritance. We have the promised land. We are your chosen people if we have believed in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, Lord. But it's time for us to start living like it and to walk from the slavery that has held us captive into your freedom. So Lord, I pray for courage for everyone sitting here today, for just boldness and just ability to grab hold of all the freedom that you have for them. I pray that generations would be changed from this day forward. In your holy, mighty, precious name we pray. Amen.